Thank you, Pam and choir and all of you who led us in music today. It's good to see the uh, college students back in town. I'm so glad that y'all are back. And uh, RJ and a bunch of people from our church have been helping move them in uh, this week have the opportunity to meet many of them, and uh, we welcome you today. Well, for, for several weeks now, we have been looking at some of the basic doctrines or beliefs that we as Christians hold. And we began by looking at the Bible. The reason for that is because it is the basis for our beliefs. What we believe comes from the Bible. And then we looked at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. After that, we focused our attention on Satan. Last week, our subject was the nature of man. And today, our focus is going to be on salvation. The truth is, when we deal with the subject of salvation, there are those who reject the doctrine, and there are probably some reasons for that. For instance, if I need to be saved, that would suggest then that I'm a sinner. If I need a Savior, then I must be a sinner. And there are those people who reject the idea that man is a sinner. There's another reason for its rejection, I believe, and that is because of the exclusivity of salvation. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, that's pretty exclusive. When the Bible says that there is no other name given by which we must be saved, that means then that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And so there are people who reject the doctrine of salvation because it is exclusive. Now, we have been singing songs about the blood this morning, and there are those who reject the notion that we are saved by the blood of Jesus because that is seen as archaic and barbaric, and it is something that is not accepted by many. I think basically we reject the doctrine because of an inadequate view of sin. The truth is there are many who who think, well, sin's just not that bad. I mean, everybody does it. It can't be that bad. In fact, we know people who have become famous as a result of sin. Where would the Kardashians be without sin? So it just can't be that bad. And so I think that because of an inadequate view of sin, there are those who reject the notion of salvation. And then there's an inadequate view of the holiness of God. You, You see, ladies and gentlemen, God is absolutely, perfectly holy, and therefore he will not tolerate sin. As a matter of fact, sin is so serious to God, the Bible says that he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Salvation is important because we're absolutely transformed by salvation. As a matter of fact, it is so radical, the Bible says or refers to it as being born again. That the person who is saved is born again. They become a new person. So today I want us to look at the doctrine of salvation. Matthew chapter 1 records the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse number 5 it says, And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. Now, who was Rahab? She was a harlot. 
Well, what in the world is she doing in the family tree of Jesus? I mean, how did she end up as a part of the genealogy of Jesus? If this woman were a harlot, how is she in the genealogy of Jesus? Well, obviously her life was transformed. And I want us to look at that story today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, and it is the story of Rahab. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gates. Now, this woman's life was changed. Here she is in a house of ill repute, and then we see her in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, how did all that happen? Well, first of all, salvation always begins with a witness. And the primary witness is the Holy Spirit. You remember when we were studying about the Holy Spirit, the Bible refers to Him as a witness. In John chapter 15, verse number 26, when the Helper comes, that is a reference to the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So the Bible then says that the Holy Spirit is the primary witness, that he gives testimony to Christ. Now look at verse number 8. Now, therefore, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and all inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. I know that the Lord has given you the land. How did she know that? How did she know that? Here's a harlot. How did she know that? Because the Holy Spirit had placed it in her heart. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, it always initiates the witness. How did the spies know to come to her home, to her house, and that she would be friendly? How did they know that? The work of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I want you to understand that concerning salvation, the transformation of life, the Holy Spirit always is the initiator. He is the primary witness. In fact, you can look at the story of Cornelius and Peter. The Bible says that Cornelius was in prayer. And as he was praying, the Lord revealed to him, I want you to send for Simon Peter, and he will tell you what it is that you need to know. How do you know to do that? Because the Lord put it in his heart. The Spirit put it in his heart. 
Now, at exactly the same time that Cornelius was praying and the Spirit was telling him to send for Simon Peter, Peter was in Joppa up on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house and there he had a vision. And in that vision, the Spirit said to him, there are some men coming to look for you. When they come, I want you to go with them. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who initiates salvation, who gives the witness, who gives the testament. And so both to Cornelius and to Simon Peter, the witness was given. Well, what about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? The Bible says in Acts 8, 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So the Spirit then was speaking to Philip at the time. There was a revival going on. Philip was involved in the revival. But in the midst of the revival, the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to go down to Gaza. And there's a man there I want you to witness to. That was the work of the Spirit. And at exactly the time Philip got there, the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot was reading from Isaiah chapter 53 about the Messiah. How did that happen? How did that all come together? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is a mystery. It is is supernatural. But the Holy Spirit is a witness of God. I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in some of you today. That there is in your heart an awareness that you do not know the Lord. You might be a Baptist, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, whatever it is. You know, when we stand before the Lord, He isn't going to check our brand marks. He isn't going to say, are you a Baptist? Were you baptized by immersion? You see, it all comes down to we know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And I believe that for some of you today, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And there is something in your heart. You might not understand it. Certainly you couldn't explain it. But it's the Holy Spirit working in your life, drawing you to Jesus. And I don't believe that any of you are here by accident today that the Lord brought you because He wanted to speak to you. So, the witness, there has to be a witness, and the Holy Spirit is the primary witness. He is the one who initiates a witness, and then God uses people. Now look at verse number 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We have heard. Where'd she hear that? Somebody told her. So the Holy Spirit was working, giving a witness to her in her heart. Someone had told her, we have heard. And she believed in the power of God. She believed in the promises of God. The Lord has given you this land. Matthew Henry commenting on that verse said, O woman, great is thy faith. Here is a woman who was a harlot, made her living by prostitution, and the Spirit gave witness to her, and she heard from others the news about the Hebrews, and the Bible says that she believed the news. God uses people. I'm grateful that I grew up in a home where my parents were Christian. And they gave a witness before me by their word, but also by their life, by their faithfulness to the Lord. I'm so grateful for that. And there are probably most of you, at least many of you, who grew up in a Christian home and your parents were the witness that God used in your life. I'm grateful for those Sunday school teachers and deacons 
vacation Bible school workers, those who have been faithful witnesses of the gospel. And I would imagine today that you can think of those people in your life God has used to share the good news with you. The Holy Spirit works in your heart and God uses people to articulate the message to your heart. There has to be a faithful witness and we see this concerning this woman. But now, if the seed that is planted, if the witness that is given is genuine, then it leads to faith. If, if, the, if the seed that is planted, if it is from God, then it leads us to the opportunity for faith. And I want you to look at the process with me. And it might surprise you, but I believe that normally when the process begins, it begins in fear. I think that when God begins to work in our life, most of us respond, at least in the beginning, because of fear. Look at verse number 9. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. She said, we are in terror. Our hearts have melted, which means they were demoralized. It began in fear. Folks, the fact is, now I I know that this is not popular today and you don't hear this a lot today, But I believe the fact to be that oftentimes that it is fear that causes us to consider the claims of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalm 85 verse 9, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. Christianity Today had an article that was titled, Can We Be Good Without Hell? And it deals with the importance of hell in our lives, how that impacts our lives, for instance, concerning morality. Why should we be moral if there is no consequence to our immorality? I mean, really. Why why should I be honest in my business? Why should I be faithful to my wife? Why should we be moral people if there is no consequence to my action? We teach in the church that we are to serve the Lord sacrificially. But if there is no hell, isn't that irrational? I mean, really, isn't it that I'm supposed to sacrifice if there is no hell? If there is no consequence? Is that not irrational? For instance, we teach you that the Bible says you are to tithe, that you are to give. Well, why in the world would you do that if there is no hell, if there's no consequence? Why would you do that? We tell you that we are to give to missions and our church does. We give hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to missions outside this ministry, outside our church. Why would we do that? If If there is no hell, if there's no hell from which people are to be rescued, why would you do it? Your time, some of you give so much time in your service to the Lord, Sunday school teachers, deacons, the choir, the orchestra, you all give so much time. Why why would you spend so much of your time if there is no hell? So the point that I'm making, and you can extrapolate it however you want to, it doesn't matter to me, but the point that I am trying to say is that I believe for many of us, 
that our consideration of the claims of Christ and of our spiritual condition begins in fear, but a proper fear leads to faith. If it is a proper fear, it leads to faith. Look at verse number 11. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She said, we were scared to death. We were in terror. Our hearts melted. But then we see her as she goes from this fear that she had to what? To faith. She moves from fear to faith. I, I can tell you, I, I think, and I tried to think about this because I came to know the Lord when I was younger. But I think that I, I, I considered it because I didn't want to go to hell. Now, I wasn't excited about going to heaven either, but I was... Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed what I was doing, but I, did, I knew I didn't want to go to hell. Because I had heard about hell, and it didn't sound like a, a place I would want to visit. So it began that way, and here, here's the way that it began with me. It began the consideration out of fear, which led to faith in God, and now that has led to love for God. I love God. I wish I loved Him more. I really do. I'm embarrassed sometimes at how little I love the Lord. But I love the Lord, and I love His people. I really love you all. I'm, I'm so thankful for you. It is a privilege for me to stand before you. I thank God for you. So the point that I would make to you is that for most of us, the consideration begins out of fear, out of consideration. And if it's proper, that leads to faith, and then we serve because we love. As Margaret Garrett sings sometimes, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And I know that many of you would say the same thing, that you have come to that place of love. And so there, there is fear, there is faith, and then that leads to concern for other people. In verse number 13, And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Do you see now what has happened in this woman? She began with fear of the Hebrews. She moved to faith, and now then she's concerned about others. That's sort of the way it works. We become concerned about other people. For instance, I look at, at Andrew. And after Andrew came to the Lord, the first thing is that he became concerned about his brother. And the Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon... And said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You see what happened to Andrew? Andrew came to know the Lord, and after he came to know the Lord, he became concerned for his brother. He wanted him to know the Lord as well. The Apostle Paul came to know Jesus, and after he came to know Jesus, he became concerned for Israel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. In fact, Paul said that he would be willing to die and go to hell if by so doing somehow his brothers would come to know Jesus as Savior. That's concern. I am willing to die and go to hell if by doing so my kinsmen according to the flesh would come to know Jesus as Savior. When one comes to genuine faith, one becomes concerned for others. Someone said that um, 
James Kennedy said it. Anyone who is content to go to heaven alone is probably not going at all. I really believe if we know Jesus and we really believe what the Bible teaches us, that we want to see other people come to know Jesus as well. And then that faith is confirmed by action. So if our faith is genuine, it is always active. It is confirmed by our actions in verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. There is the action. James chapter 2 says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? She had faith that was confirmed by her action. Noah had faith and his faith was confirmed by his action. Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. So the Lord said to him, I am going to judge the earth. And Noah believed what God said. Because he believed what God said, the Bible says that he built the ark. His faith was confirmed by his action. Joshua's faith was confirmed by his action. God gave uh, to Joshua strange plan for Jericho. They're going to conquer Jericho. Jericho's here. And he said, to the Lord, it's all shut up. The walls are around it. The gates are closed. It's all shut up. How do we get in? And God said, why don't we try this? He said, get everybody together, and tomorrow I want you to march around the city once and, and, and blow the horn and then go back. And then the next day I want you to come out again and march around the city and blow the horn and go back. And the next day do the same thing and so forth and so on. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you. I'm, I would probably say, I'm, I'm, surely I'm missing something here. I'm supposed to go out there and blow a horn. I'm, what we're really wanting to do, God, maybe we didn't communicate. What we're really wanting to do is to get inside the city and capture it. And you want me to go out here and blow a horn? But, you know, he did that. He confirmed his faith by his actions. And when he blew the horn and the walls came tumbling down, you know the story. His faith was confirmed by his actions. Our faith, if it's legitimate, listen, faith is, if it's legitimate, is never passive, it is always active. If it's legitimate. That's the reason James said, faith without works is dead, being alone. You say that you have faith? James says, then show me your faith. Now, we're not saved by works, but if our faith is legitimate, it it is confirmed by our actions. Now, then, there's one other thing. The scarlet's red, verse 17. And the men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. The scarlet thread in this story is a picture of the shed blood of Jesus. Now, I know that there are churches today who have abandoned the idea of the blood of Jesus. Why is it important? 
because we're cleansed by the blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission. When Adam and Eve sinned, after they sinned, now they're separated from the Lord now. After they've sinned, they're separated from the Lord. What did they do? They realized they were naked. And what did they do? They got some fig leaves to cover themselves. Now those fig leaves represent religion. That is our attempt to make ourselves right with God. That's what religion is. It is our attempt to make ourselves right with God. And God says, no, that isn't going to work. And so he took a lamb, slew the lamb, and took the skin to cover them, which symbolized the sacrifice of Christ. The Passover, the Hebrews were saved by the blood of the lamb. The Bible says in Exodus 12, 7, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And so when the death angel saw the blood of the Lamb, the death angel passed over. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There was a religious convocation in Chicago some years ago where the pluralism of religion was being discussed. Well, one of the speakers was Dr. Joseph Cook, who proposed a woman who was guilty of murder. This is the question he asked of those there. Is there anything in your religion that will remove her sin and give her peace? And there was silence. And then Dr. Cook said, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Why is it important? Because we're cleansed by the blood. We're cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ. And we are changed by the blood. A relationship to Christ does not bring about rehabilitation. It brings regeneration. We are changed. Look at Rahab. She went from being a prostitute to a princess. An example of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11, an ancestress to the Messiah. Rabbinical tradition says she was one of the four prettiest women in the world, an ancestress of eight prophets, including Jeremiah, and there she is listed in the family tree of Jesus. I don't know about you, I love that. I mean, it messes most of us up. That here is a woman who was a, a stained woman, a sinful woman, a prostitute of all things. And there she is in the genealogy of Jesus. I thank God for His grace because that's what God does. Our lives are changed by the blood. Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel. We're changed. Our nature is changed by the blood. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Our nature is changed and our destiny is changed. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Our destiny is changed by the sacrifice of Jesus. So let me conclude. Man is a sinner. We've all sinned. Truth is, we might look a little better. We're not any better than Rahab. She was a harlot. She was a sinner. And we also are sinners. And salvation is a gift that is provided by Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him. 
there was a religious service some years ago at Golden Gate Exhibition in San Francisco. One of the speakers of a more modern liberal persuasion began to discredit the blood of Jesus. Ruth Marsden was present and she recorded this. She said that as the man spoke, trying to make light of the blood of Jesus, the necessity of it, that this woman stood and began to sing, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. She came to the second verse and Ruth Marsden reported that about a hundred people stood with her. And they sang, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Came to the third verse and Ruth Marsden reported that at this time there were over a thousand people who stood and sang. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. How is one saved? When we recognize that we are sinners, we repent of our sin, to turn from our sin, and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And by His grace, He saves us. Thank God for the blood. Our Father, we come to you as we enter into a time of invitation, asking, Lord, that the Holy Spirit give witness to hearts. Some who have come today not expecting whatsoever to meet with you, and yet the Spirit has spoken to their heart. Lord, draw them to Christ during this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation. The choir will sing. My friend, if you're here without Christ as Savior, Would you trust him today? We'll have staff here. They'll pray with you, speak to you about it. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing. You come. I'll greet you.